Hello there. It's September the 16th, 2015. You are listening to another Decisive Podcast Series special. I am your host, Roberto Q. Ingram. I am glad that you are listening, and I do hope you enjoy the show today. At this time, I'd like to welcome a special guest and a friend of mine, David Mufang, a.k.a. Move D. Hey, buddy. Would you rather that I call you David or Move D? <laughs> David, anytime. Yeah, well, I guess David is cordial. It's not like we first met. I believe we first met at Free Rotation about four or five years ago, or? I, I guess. I think it's longer ago than that. Yeah. Ooh. How long ago? When was your first time going? Ooh, if I can remember correctly, 2010, wasn't Maybe. it? Maybe. Something like this. Yeah, I think it was 2010. Well, I think definitely since then, I know you. Okay, I want to begin first of all by saying I really do appreciate you taking the time to um, do this for me. Decisive Podcast for me is a very special project I've been doing for about two years now. And to actually get artists in which I respect their artistry and their, their passion for the underground music. Thank you for taking the time out of your crazy schedule to join me here on the show today. Uh, I can only return the compliment to your body. I mean, that's the thing. You gotta be vibing with each other in order to do this. So. I'm really excited that uh, for everyone to get a chance to listen to your DJ mix, which you recorded live um, on June 10th at the uh, About Blank Lobby in Berlin. Yes, because we were talking about uh, another option last night, right? But um, I think it's fine if we stick to that one. And you're right, if it's good if we can talk about the night as well. And we can definitely talk about About Blank and Berlin. And right. So I think uh, spot on, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, was a, that was a very nice party. It was another away party. And there's a couple, Andy and Laura, they're really sweet promoters from Berlin. And they do on like, I don't know, like four events um, over the year. They've had like cool guests like um, Cozy and um, Moody Man, mm. myself, and um, yeah, and um, so uh, that was one of their parties. And I think that night now, I hope I'm not forgetting, but I think I was the main headliner that night. And I was staying in the garden and in the inside in the lobby and of course the away residents were there, Chris Benz from Sydney, now Berlin, did a wonderful live PA. So yeah, it's just like, a, and I like the club. Um, and it's kind of low kind of profile attitude and a beautiful garden it's like good old techno days to me that's funny that was my very next question it states here uh, about blank lobby and i was going okay let me ask him uh, is it actually a lobby you play <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's some sort of a lobby, but in a, I mean, actually, the last time I was there, they told me that the Ministry of um, Recreation was based in there, which is kind of funny. And then I think after the wall came down, it was some sort of a kindergarten for a while, and now it's a club, but the lobby, I don't know. It's a kind of U-shaped building or L-shaped building, and it's all, um, yeah, it all feels like a tunnel more. Than, than a big hall or anything. So whatever floors, they got two inside floors and a beautiful garden. And especially the lobby floor, it, it's a bit like a, a hose in a way. Being a house music specialist seemed kind of um, interesting that you were able to play all different kinds of venues. I mean, 
from gardens to backyards to house clubs to festivals to that must be a great uh, that's quite intimate yeah yeah and not always not always when you talk about festivals and um, doesn't even necessarily reflect on the music in a bad way i mean like one that really stood out for me clearly was like the movement last year oh, okay and um that um, kind of afternoon set I played there in the green floor or stage or whatever it is called, which had a uh, pretty mixed uh, programming and um, mm -hmm. whatever. I had the greatest time and there were definitely a couple of thousand people there, yeah. but it still felt kind of intimate or whatever. It felt nice, but like typically I would say like the larger, the harder it gets to connect with the individual read the vibe that's going on and so yeah ultimately i'm really into the more intimate experience and uh, even free rotation exactly. uh, people exactly. mentioned it like 550 tickets that's amazing selling makes it really really special like cozy and um, you really do know people you really get to know the artist you really get to co co collaborate and understand them as a person and yeah and not just uh, on stage and exactly. you can really uh, connect. That's kind of unique if you ask me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, totally unique. I have not seen any other like this. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of other festivals, they kind of want to improve their scale or whatever and climb the ladder wherever it takes uh, money, I guess. Money-wise, huh? Yeah, and they get more and more capacity. And I think mm -hmm. part of the miss or whatever of uh, free rotation is, uh, is due to the limitation and it's not really trying to be too exclusive if you really commit yourself on going and you you start kind of looking for tickets early enough it's doable for everyone but um yeah i think it, it's really helpful that, that it remains small as it is yeah i mean 500 people are still uh, adequate or yeah yeah, but you're talking about three floors or, yeah, three floors essentially, yeah. like at night, so yeah. it's not a lot of people left for each floor. Okay. Yeah, that's true. It depends on who you are. I mean, I would say it's really small, but beautiful. Yeah, we need more practice, but we need more people in the scene that put on stuff without, like, uh, financial interest. I guess running a blog or a podcast will eventually take you somewhere, but it's somehow the same thing, you know? You're not being paid for doing this, and it's work. Uh, that's what makes the world go wrong, and how people now get a chance to hear about me as we move right along in our decisive podcast series special number seven with move d live in the mix from about blank berlin starting it off with his cut in collaboration with just ed it's called acid Heidelberg. 
Let me ask you something, David. Where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Heidelberg, Germany, south of Frankfurt. South of Frankfurt. And uh, I noticed that you have on your bio um, something about Texas. Yeah, but that was just like a funny coincidence. When I started my Facebook page, I was with a friend in Brooklyn. Uh, um, I remembered seeing Heidelberg, Texas on a map or maybe even passing by, I'm not sure anymore. Like Paris, Texas, and there's Basel and Stuttgart and whatnot. Texas, these are all like fun, basically, really villages. And I just, for fun, I said Heidelberg, Texas, and apparently wherever that two-horse town may be, <laughs> that would be somewhat close to McAllen is another place I haven't been to but so okay. that's what they, um, what it now says on my Facebook, yeah. But I, I once kind of spent like 10 weeks in Austin in 1990. That's why the affinity for Texas is coming from. Oh yeah, you, you enjoy yourself there? Yeah, very much. Uh, did you, did you actually, yeah. did you actually um, have any um, performances there? No, it was before I was really doing electronic music. I had like a history and bands in the 80s playing the guitar. I was curious. Yeah, and um, on that trip, I remember in Austin, for instance, I bought a 1935, from the year 1935, Gibson uh, guitar, which was kind of damaged, but I was lucky to find a real good guitar store in LA, and the guy saw the it breaks their heart, you know, like a 70-year-old Gibson guitar. So they have to fix it and um, didn't charge me too much. So this was more what was going on around that time. I was probably sitting on the porch with that guitar. And uh, Austin has always been a music place, I think, around 1990 when I went there. For the first time around that year, they started the Southwest, Southwest, maybe one or two years before, but it was still kind of young, the Austin, Southwest, Southwest, you must have read about it. It's like a bigger festival, more indie, rock, everything by now. So this kind of scene, and they had like a very healthy like live music scene, and I was going to see gigs every night, and it was across the board from King Sunny Ade to Dennis Quaid, George Clinton, it was really, it was really cool. Okay, so that, that was that was actually my next question about your musical influence, but uh, I can, I can actually see that if I if I look back from when we first met until now, how you actually entertain the crowd. You 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 actually enter, entertain your your audience in such fa such fashion. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the audience that entertains me, I think that's at least how. I wouldn't, you wouldn't get the free rotation dome experience. It isn't or yeah, but I mean, you 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 capture these different genres of house from eighties, early eighties, all the way up until till till now. And some mm. some of the young people don't haven't heard some of this stuff. They haven't. Yeah, it's amazing to me sometimes. Yeah. Because some of the stuff, some of the tunes aren't even like secret. There, they've been big at the time, but like now you play them, they work just as well or even better <laughs> than they did back then, and people haven't really heard of them. Or yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, getting back to my point, it's so this this history and journey, this journey, mm -hmm. this journey that you take them on, and and now I can see that from the festival, you said from the bands and the rock. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I listen to everything: classical music, jazz, world music. 
I can get a kick out of everything, like modern, classics, experimental, house, even some techno, but I must say, like at home, electronic music is probably the least kind of favorable. It's like work in a way, and in a way also like dance music, I love it, I love it. You can tell I love it, but, but I can't do it 24-7, yeah, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I think uh, that's more like what's inside the record bag, and on my iPod it would be self-counseled or my status or something completely different. Yeah, I mean, as I said, you, you can't really force it, and it's not guaranteed to happen on every party. It really, but like, if there's a vibe, I'm not the one who kind of sleeps it. <laughs> Sometimes it's just like it also depends on the technical side a lot. You can hear stuff clearly or not, and if you can, chances are much higher that you're really actually enjoying your music. Sometimes it's just a struggle, you know, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you kind of swell yeah. But, but like everything's kind of yeah, washed and not really enjoyable but if it's enjoyable I mean I try to play music that's enjoyable and um, yeah, if you can hear it well it definitely helps so it all starts with the with the technical end and I mean we haven't started talking about digital versus vinyl and I'm, yeah. I'm really not religious about it people do what they want uh, one thing I notice is like the general state of turntables and the care and the maintenance is diminished. It's diminished. Because people more and more playing their USB sticks, so that's what's guaranteed to work and function in a club. But the turntables not necessarily have any suspension and there's humming and feedback and all this is really annoying. Shame, huh? Because I'm playing my vinyl and. Um, yeah, but so, I'm not going to bend for it, and um, I yeah. could do I think even that movement, you know, I came to that stage, it was, I don't know, like, felt like 30 feet high. Uh, it was just like these stage elements, everything was wobbling like and walking like on a boat, and the turntables were just sitting on these tables with nothing. Shame, I mean, shame. Shame. Oh, this is not going to work, and he says, yeah, he's cool. <laughs> And then I bring up the, the fader just one inch and already like everything starts flipping around it. It was before I even put down the needle, you know, it's just like... How can you eliminate turntables? Yeah, yeah. I was just the first vinyl DJ of, the, of that day, or maybe the only one, I hope not. But like, they just hadn't made the experience yet. While it was happening, they realized and then an hour later they came with some concrete plates and some foam. But I really took them an hour. Wow. It would have been great if they would have thought of that in the beginning before they decided to wait until the problem happened. <laughs> I'm like you. All mediums are accepted, but excluding the turntables, hmm, I don't think this is adequate. And it's uh, quite unprofessional if you ask me. You must be prepared for all DJs doing what they do. It depends. I mean, in small clubs, I know there's a lot of them struggling. My best friends are running clubs and they're struggling, you know. 
So I see um, the money is limited and I won't even yeah, start pitching a priority. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, techno was always a lot about compromise. I remember playing the Bacardi room in Altershall and they all tweeters were blown basically. It was super nice and <laughs> but just no eyes. <laughs> Uh, it was still a good party, you know. Yeah. Back in the day, what that was? What year was that? '94? Well, I don't know, but like I was there at the Ultra Show, maybe playing. Yeah, is this when they opened? No, I think they started earlier. I think my first experience with Ultra Show was somewhere around '95, '96. I think it was. I think it was earlier. I'm not sure, but I, I've been real friends with um, Upstart ever since, and. Uh, I'm talking about the old Ultra Charlotte, the Flughafen Riem of Kopf, and then they put the Kunstpark Oster. I think I had one experience at the Riem, and then my the rest. Yeah, I had a couple of experiences there. <laughs> yeah. You're tuned in to a Decisive Podcast special extended version with special interview and DJ mix by Move D Live at About Blank.
that you have had musical influence in your upbringing, huh? You said you played guitar. Any other instruments? Yeah, basically I tried most traditional instruments for a little bit at least. I actually started off with drums and taking lessons, even at classical drumming with all the other instruments, percussion instruments like mallets and safra, um, only maybe from 10 to 15. And then at the age of 12, I started playing the guitar with 
guess. And I was first like taught myself. And then as I got a little better and I dropped the drum lessons, I started guitar lessons. Building on, I mean, I already could play some, but I was interested in learning about jazz. Was, was there a guitarist or a musician that influenced you on, the, on, your, uh, on your endeavor? Um, well, I mean, at that particular time in my life, probably Andy Summers was the most <laughs> vibrating with me. And in a way, it was proto-techno as he was kind of denying or refusing the standard okay. rock guitar. Did everything else okay. but the standard rock guitar. Okay. He had nice jazzy chords, different kind of sounds. When he soloed, it was very almost like pre-jazz or atonal, but very interesting shit. So this guy was high in my books and he's still is, but like I was already into Brazilian music at that age and like like a lifetime favorite of mine much beyond the Andy Summers uh, thing is Johnny Guitar Watson I'm fucking solving this guy and anything he basically done and um, he's been uh, amazingly um, creative and varied in style like starting off yeah. like blues and beat and there's one album where he plays the piano and sings in the trio and plays no guitar whatsoever uh, and even that he's not the greatest piano player uh, in the world but, but it's John Guitar Watson playing the piano it's okay. like his musicality and um, I just don't care and then okay he did the stuff that everybody knows like a real mother for you when he was kind of peeking real at you. I think he was in his 40s then already mm -hmm. and um, yeah this guy Definitely major. Does music also run in your family? Yeah, totally. Like my grandmother and my step grandmother, they were both pianists, and my other grandmother was a trained singer, and my dad was a jazz trumpeter and plays the piano and has the perfect hearing. My grandfather had the perfect ear on him. And play it to the family, although his wife was a trained pianist, he was the guy who could remember like and he didn't read the score. He, he was able to uh, recite the, uh, uh, yeah, the notes. Yeah, like, like you read a book and you can recite it word by word, you know, he had this ability. <laughs> My family, I was always like, never really extraordinary, but like the DJing thing as well, it kind of crept in didn't even realize it, how it happened. I mean, I do remember like the first kind of parties we were having as teenagers. There was one turntable and a few records and I always ended up being the guy like picking the records to be played. And, um, but it was only one turntable. I never heard of the word DJ as such even. That was kind of that was kind of something for me. My mom used to work at a bar, and you, you know you have the uh, the jukebox there, and I used to get a chance to go in <laughs> and pick yeah, the numbers. Yeah, same thing. Kind of mesmerized with that machine, and you want to choose the songs there. It's the same gene, I would say. So I had it, but I didn't really reflect on it. And then I do remember, like in the mid '80s, I was still under 18 and going to some kind of touristy discotheques in the north of Italy and um, I, I saw DJs actually beat matching records or even like a mashup, you know, I have a Prince tune running at the same time with what, whatever, so to so and like, like a, uh, that of course kind of really impressed me so I started kind of listening to DJs in a little more 
aware manner than most other people would, I guess. And then I found one disco in my town, which was, um, they had two kind of American, black American background DJs mm -hmm. okay. because we had um, 30,000 American soldiers in Heidelberg. Okay. Right, right, right. And, the and so there was Understand. Uh, AFN radio, American radio, military radio. So I got exposed to all the good music there. And yeah, those two good DJs kind of swept in the Heidelberg discotheque scene. And um, I was checking out these guys and back in the day in the 80s the, the club would give money to the DJs so they buy records and then bring them back to the club and they put them in the shelf behind oh, the right, DJ. Right, right. Okay. So I was watching these guys and they were playing like music that no one else had heard in Germany like Clear or whatever but Johnson died me obscure stuff and one night the DJ didn't show up and um, They were panicking in the club and I said, I've never done this, but I've watched the guys and I know where some of the good records are. And they were just desperately saying, okay, just have a go. And at the end of the night, they said, uh, you got the job. That's how I got into DJing. Like, hey man, that was great, but that was you had balls to do that, didn't you? Yeah, but I tell you, um, I mean, I just heard the first kind of DJ beat mixing in Italy okay, and it was avant-garde to me. It wasn't happening in okay. the club in Germany and okay. people would play a record like on the radio and then come with a totally different tempo, okay. you know, go everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I was, it was cool to just do this for a while and then slowly start figuring yeah, out how, how to how make, to mix because exactly. never turntables at home until this day. <laughs> I always practice at my gigs. Sometimes people are complaining about it.
let me ask you let me ask you something um would you consider yourself first an artist musician then dj or vice versa i would consider myself as a musician in the first place okay first musician and whatever i was fortunate to kind of have as a dj okay. it came through the fact that i produce music and although it's not necessarily the same sound that i produce and what i play as a dj it still kind of is related to each other and in the 90s the emphasis was on producing music i was running a label and back in the day you were actually able to kind of live from selling records okay yeah that's true making music and that's what i did and dj was just a little optional and back then the music i produced was a lot more like even ambient or experimental and the dj probably was a lot more techno than it is today yeah for sure because that what was going on in the party scene it wasn't really such a great house scene always i mean i've seen good parties yeah, but yeah the majority was techno kind of stuff so um yeah so back then it was a lot more of a two things sometimes people who were into my music didn't know I was a DJ and vice versa they liked my DJ and they didn't know I was producing music and when they checked it out they were kind of surprised because okay. it had nothing to do with my DJ sets okay. in a way mm-hmm. all things seemed to align a lot better without me trying to force it really deliberately it kind of shaped itself Yeah, but you I mean, actually play a tune of my own in a DJ set and uh, it wouldn't be too far off and I guess that it kind of really one thing is helping the other you know like people as DJ so they buy my records but like it's in the first place because someone like my record maybe and one thing but like um, at the end of the day I couldn't I could live without DJing although it would be hard but I could not live without making music. Yeah, this natural progression this this passion that you have for what you do is very important in your life. I understand that. Um um how long have you been producing actually? I mean, uh, playing in bands since uh, the teenage days and I had my first kind of appearance on a record in 1983 which was like I was 17 it was like a school band kind of contest and then they made, made a compilation record mm-hmm. of mine. Mm-hmm. So that was my my very first beginnings and then um while I was playing in bands um, finding a rehearsal room was always a big issue. Oh yeah. Hey, there was a guy he said like I have a basement you can use for free basically which was almost too good to do. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Then it turned out the guy was running like a small TV kind of studio where he was producing mainly like local TV things and some industry kind of advertisements like the Lufthansa or whatnot like for probably smaller scale definitely for BASF and, um, and so um, One day he asked me if I was interested in kind of making music to these kind of industry 
demo videos that were longer than your typical TV ad, not 30 seconds, mm -hmm. some of them would, would go on for 10 minutes or 50, mm -hmm. the product and then kind of musicking along to that. And I was, yeah, curious to do it and to earn a little money. And that's when I started actually buying like synthesizers and sequences and drum machines so I could do this on my own. So before I was thinking techno, I was already kind of technically making it in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then... Um, you were, game, you were gaming already. And <laughs> he started like throwing acid house parties. Ooh, acid house. Very early. And um, I was not really uh, into the music much, but um, because he was my friend, I would go to the parties and I was really overwhelmed by the rave scene. How lovely and caring ravers were to each other, you know, they looked after each other oh, yeah. and stuff and like my upbringing with the rock festivals and the mainstream discotheques, it was the exact opposite. People would kind of trample on each other and um, <laughs> what is just your... not care or even be threatening at a, like a rock festival you would be kind of scared sometimes even almost intimidated by Whatever. And, and the rave experience was the opposite, it was so nice, so this was what made me come back, not so much the music, although in my DJ sets I was already playing house, but I didn't even know it was house, it had no name for me, but like I had the very early kind of Chicago tracks compilations, and yeah. I did play Mr. Fingers and Joe Smooth, and Promised Land, all this, I did not oh, really reflect. Tyree Cooper? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, what motivates you? What, 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 mo what motivates you to continue at such a high level? I mean, um, you've, you've traveled the world pretty much. Um, uh, the the experience the experience must be overwhelming, and it's a lot of you. You seem like you're doing a, you're on a lot of different projects, and what motivates you to continue at such a I love it. Case. Yeah, it's difficult to explain. I mean, I mean, sure. That, uh, Party D-Day Circus has uh, got its own dynamic. It kind of sucks you in, you know, once you start working with an agency or you, you do it by yourself. Okay. If you've got requests coming in, sometimes it's hard to stay kind of realistic about how much you can do or you want to do, yeah. uh, you just commit yourself and then you find out it's too much and I, that's actually something I, I have been struggling with the last couple of years and trying to find a solution together with my agency how we can kind of slow it down. Slow it down, bit. yeah, to get a, get a, get a lively pace, a lively pace. Successful so far, I mean, this year is a little better and I had a couple of weekends off, uh, a few more quiet weeks. Once you start, once you play like 104 gigs, like twice every weekend, you think you've reached the max and there's no more you can do. But that's actually not true. You can play five times a week if they send you and if it's summer and peak season and whatnot. And somehow I was kind of going that way from 100 and whatnot gigs into like 150 or 200 or even more. And it's definitely much too much. And um, 
now I'm trying to kind of keep it. That's more than a 40 hour week. Yeah, in the end of the day, yeah. And, but on the other hand, I mean, I was really kind of gathering some debts with the label in the end. Um, oh, yeah. But distributors went bankrupt and we still had obligations with uh, royalties, game and whatnot. Oh, yeah, and, like, so to keep it going. This, so in the end, I was really, I was deep in the red and I had to make money and pay off. But um, yeah, and it's um, it's not easy to find the moment where you can relax a bit and you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean you. I mean it's uh, you have to pay the bills. Takes <laughs> a month. It probably it's not going to be six, but eight in the end. But if you at least try to aim at six gigs only. Yeah. At least you can be kind of sure it won't be five gigs in a week or three gigs in two days or three gigs in one day. I've seen all this, you know. Um, you've, you've constantly, again, I'm going to repeat this again, you're constantly uh, on the road, constantly. And, uh, yeah, but what motivates me, you were asking. No, you, you, you explained it. I, I understand. Yeah, no, but it's the people, really. People. I mean, it's super tiring and exhausting, but it's so rewarding. If you go to Taipei, uh, you can't talk to people, or uh, actually their English isn't, isn't too bad, but... It's a, it's a whole different culture and you feel like an alien but on the music level you're able to connect and to um, have this great time together it's some power of music that is really hard to find you get it with cats videos and some kind of other arts probably but it's you can't read a book in the original language until you, before you study the language but you can enjoy music from a different background, like in the yeah, music is a universal and language. And already kind of enjoy it and relate to it. So I think really I'm gifted and grateful for these. Grateful, yeah, I hear you. Opportunity to see and meet all these wonderful people and places. It's, it's great. It's just like you need to find a balance, and I definitely need more time in the studio as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, because uh, I think, uh, I, I don't know when your last release was. Uh, when, when can, can you remember? Well, I guess the last one, I mean, I got stuff on We just had a remix for Casual, and then I had the double with Just Egg, and then I probably had a 12-inch with Magic Mountain High, another remix somewhere, and then the last proper kind of 12-inch was probably on uh, well, there came 20 reissues on of minor, but like then Electric Minds, um, Pseudo Disco 77, that was probably 2014. Where's Electric, where's, where's Electric Minds based, the, the label based? London. London, okay. I have a split 12-inch with Benjamin Brunn on Wake Up recently, that was kind of cool. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, it's always a track here and uh, maybe a split 12-inch. It's never enough time to do like an album or something more complete. Being that you didn't travel so far and wide, what two or three clubs or, lo or events that you can say was your favorite places to perform? Smart Bar, Chicago, 
anything Chicago. <laughs> anything Troy. Okay. okay. Um, anything Taiwan. Most places in Japan. And then the super unexpected surprises, but that would be more like parties, not clubs, if we're talking club. Definitely the Golden Poodle in Hamburg. Altershall, the old days. Um, and, the, and these are your, fa- these, these names that you mentioned are your favorites for reasons. It might be the people, it might be um, the history they breathe okay. in a way, okay. the energy, kind of low ceiling, good sound system. Right, the staff, the staff, they, how they take care of it. Yeah. Okay. And of course, Robert Johnson and Panorama Bar are good places as well, but I'm not sure if I would prefer them over about blank. Okay. It's also about like having a low profile, profile and low or no attitudes. No attitudes. There you yeah. go. I, I, I can, I can respect that totally. Um, I, can, I think in Asia, it's, it's a given that in a certain kind of people kind of scene, people are very committed and they really know, especially in Japan what it is about and um, you feel like um, there's a lot of understanding and appreciation. It's almost like playing in Robert Johnson, which I probably would say it's the nerdiest club in Germany. I know people are just like, they know what's up in a way. Yeah. And that can be great, but it's the opposite can be just as great if you play, play to people and they're totally unexperienced, if they just have an open ear and an open soul, it can be equally as beautiful, actually maybe more beautiful. Oh yeah. Because yeah, they they know what's coming and they know and they know how to dance to it. Uh, I I've been in Germany for a while now and I haven't seen a dance floor where people can really dance. dance. Yeah, I mean, talk about remarkable clubs that now brings in the Rex in Paris. Okay, might have seen better days, but they still got this kind of thing happening that when it empties out at uh, late at night, the kind of dancing groups come in. Uh, oh yeah. Kind of break dance, hip hop, whatever. Oh yeah, really uh, busting it out. I, right, I, they do it in Asia and Japan as well, but I've never really seen it anywhere else. That people that's, that's really, yeah, it like in and then they take over the place and stuff. Probably that was quite common in, in black the gay clubs, clubs yeah, in the gay clubs too, in, 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 yeah, in New York. right? For my white kind of. No, man, I mean, it's it's it just comes down to this combination of music, no matter what it is, techno, EDM, whatever, that makes people dance and, and hear music in which they can relate to saying, man, I remember back in this particular time, at this particular moment, I was getting screwed and I heard this song. Yeah, right, and that's why you remember it for the rest of You think it's better than anything after it. Yeah. What time of the year do you think is best suits you business-wise? 
I don't know. I mean, the summer obviously seems to be very busy with Ibiza and all the okay. festivals happening. But I found out for me personally, it's the less appearing, appealing side of the whole thing. So I'm trying to kind of keep the summer more personal and just go with people that I know, like Creation okay. okay. and uh, whatever, Corsica Studios, Excursions to Italy and whatnot. And then again, it's very busy around Christmas and New Year's and it's very busy around Easter. I would say it's always hot. What do you enjoy doing besides music? Being with my girlfriend, or my son, and my cat, and having good food and wine, and traveling is sweet, but I'm at a point with traveling so much that I would probably prefer like 10 days in my own bed over most other destinations, because sometimes I just want to be home, you know? But, um, yeah. And then whatever, what everybody else does, I'm just an older guy, I got my kids, like sit with them. I know that um, in such business that we are in, this support behind you, such as, like you said, your girlfriend and your son, how do they, how do they feel about such a business and traveling and being on the road a lot? Do they yeah, support you well, times? I mean, I think for the kid it's a little different because all of a sudden, Daddy is always on the road and that can't be nice. And um, I mean, I was naturally, after my son was born, there was a dip in the kind of everything. I wasn't playing out at all. And also the label was having difficult times. And um, so I was at home a lot and uh, spent a lot of time with him until he was six years old all the time and then almost until he was 10 years old enough time but since then it's been that i've been traveling so much and i think now he's turning 18 in november and now he's getting a different perspective on it i would i don't think it's easy he's going to school in Heidelberg, which is a rich and wealthy place, so naturally, typically his schoolmates, their dads would be lawyers or doctors or professors. It doesn't really sound good reach a certain age. But now I think he's a lot more kind of supportive and liking some of the stuff, even although he's clearly more into hip-hop than into house, but he can already tell that hip-hop and house are brother, sister, connected. You make it connect yourself. People he meets in the with like just Ed, and he's a really nice guy, he likes him, so yeah, it's all good. He's going to be a writer soon. I'll hey, good. I hope to meet him and someday. She's totally, she's the best, I mean. Yeah, you gotta have that. You gotta, you gotta have that, right? She really likes coming to parties with me and we get there and we don't know a single person and I'm busy because I'm playing but she's there and just on her own dancing and um, it's tough and she, she can do it but she doesn't have to force it on her she just enjoys it and um, that's very very fortunate I mean like in other relationships exactly. I had before it wasn't working like this and I see other couples in the business and it's not working like that for them either.
So I'm very grateful for that as well. Yeah, it takes a very special mate. I'm sure you have a lot of inspirational figures that uh, that you can name, but if you could name five of the most inspirational artists, past and current, who would they be? Uh, five isn't a lot. I mean, five out of the world, the cosmos of electronic house and techno would be hard pressing. Let's start with this. The early days, it was Cause, Larry Heard, Carl Craig, MK. But already I'm running out of um, so many others. Um, and in the whole picture, I mean, and the, the Beatles came first, and all oh, hey, but there was Kraftwerk as well, and then there was Chopin, and then there was Miles Davis. I mean, it's. There's so far, so many places. I understand. To, it's really hard to. Understand. And if you could name at least three um, newcomers. The MK Capella. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, the whole burning. 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 Yeah. Why was like all these melodies on top of each other, and then I think the basic chord changes in the track it's just like a big fat old 70s us limousine the car honk yeah yeah you know they have these chords already yeah yeah, yeah. close them i think that's what he makes the chords oh super love track. But, but a few other tracks that kind of pulled me into the world of electronic music self-hypnosis by nexus 21 which was the the more listening kind of project of alternate they were really alternate. alternate yeah 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 mm -hmm. and and if you could name at least two or three newcomers that um may have caught your attention who would they be yeah what's a newcomer at this point like last five ten years all floating points of space dimension oh, yeah. there we well, go newcomers and they we well established now but if you look back on a, whatever 45 years of music listening they're still newcomers but they are actually newcomers every year this year for me it was about your last work and um really amazing that uh, a casual track that i just remixed um spring theory i thought was really outstanding there's a lot of great stuff. I mean, uh, um, Generation Next, uh, Big Strict Son. Big Strict, oh, Big Strict? Oh, that's Big Strict Son. That's Big Strict Son. Oh, uh, but really? Also, but he's like an old timer. Like yeah, his music is, yeah, but his music is very long. In Detroit, uh, it took him about 40 seconds to program a beat and some chords over it. And never touching the, the, the computer mouse, doing it all the time. Actually, he's a wizard. Uh, that's amazing. The um, um, next question I have for you is, um, what are your plans musically for 2015 to 2016? What can people expect to uh, your releases, productions, collabs, live with, uh, let's say, uh, Mount, Magic Mountain High? Definitely Magic Mountain High, studio and live stuff. More from Rare Gans with Jonah Sharp. A series of 12 inches on Bunker and maybe some other projects and then um, what else have we got? I've got this project with two guys in Taiwan and we just 
kind of signed the track to Smallville. Want to do some more with this as well, and then yeah, hopefully getting my head around doing some solo stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And and um, I understand you are you how often are you collaborating with just ed i mean just ed is underground quality um i discovered him actually myself about four years ago five years ago uh actually they're hard to get here in in germany yeah but um how did this collaboration come about i was a fan for a long time and i actually kind of was brought to him by a friend and dj and promoter from zurich and he and i were playing at uh, zukunft i guess and he played this unbelievably beautiful by just ed with um his wife Madafi pierre yeah. as a singer no it's not uh, jennifer it's not yeah and um I, I was fucking overwhelmed by that song and I still think it's like uh, Madafi Pierre's vocals and that tune are one of the best ever house kind of vocals. I think she's really, really amazing. amazing. But, yeah, but also like uh, it had this kind of quirky, lots of percussion uh, programming behind it and that was Ed's part and uh, the whole record really blew me. And then someone told me, I was teaching at Bauhaus University in Weimar and somehow I got in touch with this guy. He was running My House, Your House as an internet radio mm. station. Mm. And that's where Ed was doing a weekly every Wednesday night. So um, I was getting into this and I was really listening to his shows whenever I could. And so in the beginning I was just like um, admiring him more or less. And then we had a little bit of a bumpy start, but eventually we, we got to be friends and we played out several times together um, back to back very kind of successfully and um, the stuff that we put out um, that came out uh, was it this year I guess it was this year Um, we um, two of the tracks we had started maybe four years ago by now and we finished it off this year or last year so it would come out this year because of the little bit of time that we only had and um, so yeah, when he's like playing in Frankfurt or whatever, we try to make it happen, and so he would come to my studio, and um, we Just, definitely want to continue. But so your last collaboration on uh, that, what was it called? Acid, the Acid track, right? Yeah. Um, you, you said the, uh, uh, Just Ed does most of the programming on beats, right? Yeah, and this one um, not necessarily. It was my studio, and. Um, on the acid one, he's um, playing um, some of the synth hooks actually, and um, he's also playing a synth solo lead on the Hustler Suite and um, doing all the vocals. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty open. But like, yeah, on the one track from Bridgeport to Heidelberg, he did all the beats. Um, okay. Now I've seen you and. Magic Mountain High live doing doing you guys team together and it seems to be most of the performances are pretty much improvised. Everything is totally improvised. You guys are crazy man. The only preparation would be like when we sound check and we yeah. tune our instruments. Uh-huh. 
intense. Usually it has something evolving already. Sometimes if we're lucky we can kind of build on this and um, use this as a starting out point for the show, but from then on it's totally, totally improvised. Now your your primary role in this in this group is what yeah. when you guys are doing the improvisation? Well, it's probably kind of like bass lines and uh, synths okay. and God would be primarily Drum, the drums the and right. the guitar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jordan's a live keyboard. Play against it's like Jonah does all the drums. I do everything that's not drums. You're into the modulars now too as well. Getting into the modular, but like loving my old school gear and the deck, yeah. like. I'm looking back yeah. on my questions here on in this interview for Decisive Podcast Series Number Seven, and um, all these things that you're doing. What is the ups and downs in managing such a diverse schedule to do this, producing and DJing and live and meeting with these guys, traveling back and forth. Who studio decided which studio to perform in? How in the hell do you manage it? I think one thing that's really helping is um, it's not always the same um, kind of routine. If I only was going from gig to gig, from airport to airport, and sometimes it is like this, mm -hmm. that's really kind of boring. Okay. So to me, like any adventure, to go to a studio or okay. jam or whatever, Makes that's sense. like playtime to me, totally. <laughs> I mean, taking sense. the jams, uh, <laughs> taking them to the next level so they can be released is when the warp comes in. But the actual jam or recording session, that's really fun and playtime. We're gonna get close to the end of the interview here, and yeah. but I have to ask you, um, when you're performing live and or DJ, um, what should the people expect to hear in your sets? Well, it's uh, two completely different things to me. Okay. As a DJ, I'm a service to the people. They pay to go out and dance and have a good time, so I should try my best in helping them to get there. So I, the music that I love, I can't preach on them if they don't dig it. I have to kind of try and compromise for them. Word to the wise. I mean, it doesn't mean I play the people totality, but I will play something more straight or whatever if I feel that's what they really want. Or I would play something more cheesy or whatever the situation. Quiet, but like when you do a live, I think you should really try to forget about all this and do your stuff same as when you do It would be wrong to sit down and think, now I want to do something that's going to be number one in the Juno charts. You probably can hear it in the end that you were trying to yeah. do something. So I think if you go there with a blank mind and just do something, you're better off and the same with the live show and if you do a live it's something between an hour or one and a half hours and people can whatever go to for an right, hour right, right, okay. or whatever if they don't really like it you're not spoiling the whole night for them if you do your thing and you show them something different for 90 minutes but as a dj i wouldn't feel comfortable 
I understand your uh, your point about pleasing the audience. At this stage of the game, isn't it also that everywhere you've played worldwide, the people get an understanding of what you are about? I remember when it was still different and people would book me because of my records but didn't know my DJ set okay. so it felt like I was doing a live tour on my own and it felt like I was always playing between these neo-trans kind of acts operating at 140 BPM I wish help this place, you know, you know. This kind of stuff doesn't really happen anymore because like somehow people seem to know have a much better kind of idea of what I stand for and okay. I would say I'm not running it, not facing this problem okay. too often but like two days ago in Geneva it was kind of hurting me or running me in that way because um, uh-huh. it wasn't a sellout party and um, of course there were some people who knew me but there were a lot of people that never heard of me and okay. Or anything, and they were quite unprepared. Unprepared. But I still kind of manage, I think, I hope. To pull it off. But it's a lot easier, as you said, when people know why they're coming to see me, and that's all fair. That just might end in the other extreme that they heard me play a certain tune that I really loved and then they expect me to play it again and yeah, again. again. Yeah. The, the reason why reason why I ask that is because um, I have this theory that let's say this status underground. We are entitled to introduce new what's new but what's new anymore, but um, challenge these club goers which um, don't we're not talking about EDM regular uh, commercial blah, blah blah. We're talking about yeah. we're talking about people that have open minds yeah. and 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 be and open for a journey. Yeah. And 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 understanding the feeling from that's coming from your soul and from your heart as an artist, and yeah. to be able to balance both of those is very good. But uh, you solidified your my question by also saying you can get the gratification of not caring about that doing the live thing in a way in a way in a way but it's about seducing people and i'm very careful about it i can't really come with whatever lesson number 10 before i start and pick them up somewhere and i take them somewhere okay so at the end of the day the people should expect to hear what from you exactly. Well, the, the Magic Mountain High, they should be kind of as open as possible. It could be Afro or okay. JB stuff. Okay, good. Okay. But um, yeah, I mean, it's roughly it's around the edges of house and techno, but yeah, really, I think uh, be prepared for the unpredictable. Prepare for the unexpected. <laughs> well, on that note, my friend David, yeah. aka Move D, I want to thank you again for uh, taking the time, and it's really been a pleasure having you for the. the I'm gonna say the very first uh, live interview. Nice one, thanks for that. And I would like to take this time to extend my thanks to the listeners who listened in so patiently of this episode with a long interview, but I hope it was well worth the wait. Don't forget to go to SoundCloud where you can find the DJ mix from Move D uninterrupted don't forget you can also check him out on the decks at Rupta Sunny on Friday the 18th here in Munich well 
I'm Roberto Q. Ingram signing off for this episode of Decisive Podcast. Until next, it's my peace. Alvita Zane Chu, Sayonara. I'm out. Peace. <laughs>